You're listening to the Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com. Mr. Reporter, how about talking about yourself? Do you like what you're doing? Or is it that you can do nothing else? Hey, Mr. Reporter, I believe all that you put down. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 31st day of January 2010. I'd like to welcome all of the listeners back and invite them all, as always, to check out the websites CorbettReport.com, ReportageBook.com, AlqaedaDoesn'tExist.com, and ClimateGate.tv as well as those sites that help to make this podcast possible, including RadioForAll.net, CascadiaPublicRadio.org, ZeroPointRadio.com, and Archive.org, where you can find an archive of all of the episodes in this podcast, going back to episode 70, in case the Corbett Report server is ever down for any reason. I'd also like to draw the attention of the listeners to a new feature of the Corbett Report website, the RSS Video Feed. We are now hosting MP4 copies of all of our YouTube videos on the Corbett Report servers, so you can now subscribe to the Corbett Report Video RSS Feed and have each and every video that we upload delivered directly to your iTunes or feed reader of choice. I'm sure I won't have to let those people who have such devices know that these MP4 files are, of course, perfect for putting on PSPs or iPods or iPhones or whatever other gadgets you might use to play videos on the go these days. So definitely, please check that out and subscribe to the video feed if you're interested in receiving those videos. And on another note, today I'd like to announce a change to the podcast format. Whereas usually we would go into the real news at this point, from this point on, we'll be going into Sunday Update, which will be a standalone news update that's similar to the real news, but will also be put up as a video, a YouTube video, each Sunday, concurrently with the podcast. Or at least that's my intention. Of course, this is an extremely time-consuming activity, so I can't guarantee there will be a video of the Sunday update every week. But certainly, that's what I'm going to try to do. And I've done so this week. So please go and download the first Sunday update, either by subscribing to our video RSS feed or going to the YouTube channel. And we'll be playing the audio of that where we used to play the real news. So you will still get a news update at the beginning of each podcast. But in order to follow all the documentation, well, of course, you can go to the documentation list for today's episode. And in the time index for the Sunday update time, you'll see a link to the YouTube video where, of course, all of the links to all of the articles and sources cited in that video will be in the show notes in the sidebar of the video. Please click on more or more info in the sidebar to see all of the links to the information. But now, without further ado, let's get into the very first Sunday update. Hello, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Welcome to Sunday Update, a public service of the Corbett Report podcast for this 31st of January, 2010. And now for the real news. The annual World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland kicked off with a bang this week as Marcus Reinhardt, the police commander in charge of security for the conference, was found dead in his hotel room ahead of the proceedings. 
The act was immediately declared to be a suicide by local police, and early media reports cited Mr. Reinhardt's drinking problem as a possible motivation. However, that conclusion was deemed unfounded by Justice Minister Barbara Jenum Steiner. One key talking point at this year's conference was how the financial sector could be further regulated by the very governments whose attempts at regulation caused the recent worldwide economic meltdown. According to one report, U.S. Representative Barney Frank said a new worldwide system of regulation would be put into place by coordinating measures in individual countries, thus solving the problem of how to institute global governmental structures without seeming to erect a global government. These meetings were perhaps best foreshadowed by the works of Georgetown historian and Bill Clinton mentor, Carol Quigley, who revealed in books such as Tragedy and Hope how an international system of financial control would be brought in to perpetuate the influence and the control of a tiny clique over the world as a whole. The concept of a global financial oligarchy is now being introduced into establishment media talking points, with Bloomberg.com running a story on January 29, 2010, Secret Banking Cabal emerges from AIG Shadows, which reads in part, quote, The idea of secret banking cabals that control the country and global economy are given among conspiracy theorists who stockpile ammo, bottled water, and peanut butter. After this week's congressional hearings into the bailout of AIG, you have to wonder if those folks are crazy after all. Wednesday's hearing described a secretive group deploying billions of dollars to favored banks, operating with little oversight by the public or elected officials. End quote. The concept was also recently inserted into commentary by MSNBC's Jim Cramer. And um, I feel strongly that Geithner, okay. uh, it, this is AIG, AIG, Goldman, Goldman, and you know what? The Bavarian Illuminati, the Trilateral Commission, Goldman Sachs, and the Queen of England are not all bad. Wow. In other news, the climatologists at the University of East Anglia and elsewhere who were implicated in the recent Climategate scandal have been found guilty of breaking the UK's freedom of information laws in their handling of FOI requests for climate data from scientists who questioned their conclusions. The ruling comes from the UK Information Commissioner, who was petitioned to look into the matter by Lord Monckton of Brenchley and others, who confirmed that those involved in the scandal did indeed break the law by conspiring to hide data from legitimate researchers and even to delete information pertaining to requested information. However, the Information Commissioner indicated that there would be no criminal charges brought for these criminal acts because they took place before the violation's six-month statute of limitations had expired. The Information Commissioner did not mention his own involvement in the scandal. In an email from Chief Climategate Conspi Conspirator Phil Jones to fellow conspirator Kevin Schmidt on August 20, 2008, Jones admitted that he had received information on how to avoid bothersome FOI requests from the Information Commissioner himself. These revelations follow a string of scandals that has left the integrity of the IPC's assessment reports in tatters, including scandals relating to the sourcing of data in those reports, formerly touted as the largest peer-reviewed collaborative work of science in history. One claim, that 40% of the Amazon forests could be lost to climate change, appears to have been made up altogether. Just days before the Information Commissioner concluded that the scientists involved in ClimateGate had, in fact, broken the law, Scientific American had published an article which quoted Gavin Schmidt, one of the climatologists involved in the scandal, describing the affair as, quote, a record of how science is actually done, end quote. It is unclear whether Scientific American will publish a clarification on the Information Commissioner's recent ruling. Also this week, tape emerged of someone who is most likely not Osama bin Laden, who most analysts agree has been dead for years, blaming America for the problem of global warming. Bin Laden goes on to blame the U.S. and other industrialized nations for global warming. It's not been confirmed that the voice actually is bin Laden. The tape comes just a week after another audio, also believed to be bin Laden, endorsed the failed Christmas Day attempt to blow up a U.S. airliner. But despite intense and sustained media coverage of the faulty science behind the man-made global warming scare, the president was laughed at during his State of the Union address when suggesting that the science is settled. I know that there are those who disagree with the overwhelming scientific evidence on climate change. But...
Now, please stay tuned to CorbettReport.com for episode 115 of the Corbett Report podcast, where we will be discussing the alternative alternative media with Dave Derby and Neil Foster of SovereignIndependent.com, Chris Gio and socio student of TruthFrequency.com, James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, and Richard Andrew Grove of PeaceRevolution.org. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to episode 115 of the Corbett Report podcast, the alternative, alternative media. Now, I think it goes without saying to anyone who has been listening to this podcast for any length of time that I am no great fan of the establishment media, those large mass media sources, the newspapers and television stations and large radio syndicates that program and control so much of what we see, hear, and consume on a daily basis that their control over the average person is quite frightening. And I think we have adequately displayed time and time and time again in just about every podcast episode that the Corbett Report has ever released how the establishment media conveys its various lies, manipulations, and fabrications. Now, it's important not to get caught up in a false dialectic, but whereby the people who own and control the establishment media are also puppeteering the so-called alternative media. That is to say, those media which are presented to us as the alternative for us to turn to if and when we find out that the establishment media is lying to us. Now, I think specifically of sites like Alternet or programs like Democracy Now!, or things like NPR or PBS, that a lot of people who are still caught up in the establishment system tend to think is truly rebellious and truly alternative. And while I certainly would not throw out the baby with the bathwater, and I would not say that there is nothing to gain or of no value from sites or sources such as those, certainly we must be cautious, wary, and understand that these forms of alternative media are in the back pocket of the establishment. Perhaps the simplest way to get a handle on that is to simply type left gatekeepers media into any image search engine and see what comes up. But certainly there is such a thing as a genuine grassroots alternative media that is put out by people who are not associated with the CIA or the Rockefeller Foundation or the Ford Foundation or the Carnegie Foundation or George Soros's Open Society Institute or the Trilateral Commission or various Bilderberg members. There is a genuine grassroots alternative media movement, and I have, of course, featured some of the members of that movement time and again on this podcast, And it's important to keep in mind that that alternative, the true alternative media, is having an incredible, an incredibly powerful effect on the society at large. There is case after case after case of how the true, genuine, independent alternative media has blown the establishment media and the establishment alternative media out of the water time and again on issue after issue. And here are just a few examples of cases where we have had remarkable success pushing truth into the mainstream. One thing that immediately comes to mind is the recent swine flu panic which, it now turns out, was being completely and utterly manufactured by the WHO and the various officials advising the WHO in order to line the pockets of their big pharma sponsors. Surprise, surprise. Now, of course, this will come as no surprise to anyone who has been following the genuine independent alternative media, and, of course, listeners and followers of the Corbett Report will be well familiar with this by now, and certainly I hope you will check out some of my recent articles on the WHO and the collapse of the swine flu hoax. But in fact, for those who are curious, yes, indeed, the first article that the Corbett Report wrote about the swine flu panic was way back in April of 2009, and it was entitled, Swine Flu, Who Profits? And it went into much detail about how 
Of course, certain well-positioned members of society were also well-placed to profit from that pandemic. So again, this is an idea that has been around, well, since the inception of this panic, and which I have been attempting to warn people about. Of course, perhaps the only error in that article is that instead of who profits, question mark, it should have been who profits, period. Ha ha ha. But certainly, again, the complete and utter collapse of the WHO's swine flu paranoia pandemic was due in large part to the incredible efforts the of the actual grassroots media in getting the word out about the killer vaccines and about all of the other ways in which this scandal was being manipulated. Another example that comes to mind is the incredible grassroots movements which have propelled the audit the Fed and the abolish the Fed movements into the mainstream, and perhaps no better example of just how mainstream this information has become came back in August of last year when Dig and the Wall Street Journal teamed up in order to provide a special interview with Tim Geithner the Treasury Secretary in the Obama administration, they thought it would be a great idea to let the DIG users vote on which questions to ask Mr. Geithner. Well, of course, that wasn't such a great thing for Mr. Geithner, and you can watch the results of that very highly uncomfortable interview in an article that I wrote back in August called Geithner. Auditing the Fed is a line that we don't want to cross, in which Geithner is grilled much in the same way that he was recently grilled by members of Congress. And again, this is an example of an issue that really was nowhere on the controlled corporate media radar before the Ron Paul revolution started to truly transform genuine grassroots political movements in America. Perhaps one of the most stunning examples of the power of the alternative alternative media comes in the complete disintegration of the IPCC in recent weeks. And for anyone who hasn't been watching lately, all I can say is you really don't know what you're missing. Because after Gate and Glaciergate and Amazongate and Greenpeacegate and... I've really stopped counting all of the various scandals that are coming out of the UN's supposedly peer-reviewed scientific IPCC assessment report, which can, of course, admit no wrongdoing. And the absolute disintegration of that fabrication of lies began with something, a story that was not being given any attention whatsoever in the establishment media, or even in the foundation-funded alternative media, and that, of course, was ClimateGate. That was the beginning of the end of the complete monopoly of control of this clique of scientists who have overtaken this process for their personal gains. And really, it is the alternative media and the efforts of grassroots independent activists getting the word out about ClimateGate that pushed it over the top. I have no doubt that if we were living in a pre-internet age, that scandal would have blown over without anyone even knowing about it. But since we live in the internet age, and since the internet actually enabled the leaking of the documents, which really was ClimateGate itself, we have a lot to thank for to all of those people who helped spread the word about the climate gate issue. And, of course, what better time could there possibly be than now, after, as we've just heard in the Sunday update, the climatologists at the CRU have been found guilty by the Information Commissioner of breaching UK freedom of information laws. Well, that was really the point of arrest the climatologists, although of course we now know that arrests will not be forthcoming because the statute of limitations has expired on these particular grievances. But at any rate, to have achieved this level of discreditation of these people so quickly is truly astounding, and this is something that I would not want just to pass over. So... I will use this opportunity to announce the winners of the Arrest the Crimatologists contest. Now, 
As you're listening to this, I suppose you could go to CorbettReport.com and take a look at the article, but in order to build suspense in this episode, let's save that announcement for the end of the episode so we can properly highlight the incredible work that my listeners and, and people who follow the Corbett Report have been doing in spreading the word about this, one of the most important scientific scandals of our times. But at this point... Instead of lecturing you about the alternative alternative media or simply providing examples of good sources for independent information, I thought it would be valuable to have conversations with people who have rolled up their sleeves and actually gotten involved in the production of the alternative media. People who have taken that call that I took up three years ago and which is truly the basis of the message of the Corbett Report podcast, and that is simply that you must become the media rather than simply receive the media. And I'd like to start by talking to DJ Chris Geo and socio student of truthfrequency.com. Now, my listeners might recognize Chris Geo as the man behind at least two of the songs that have been played as theme songs for various episodes of the Corbett Report in past episodes. And they might recognize Socio Student as Cherie, who we talked to back several episodes ago when we were talking about Know Your Vaccines. In recent months, these two online activists have hooked up in the real world and have now started producing Truth Frequency, an online radio program which is providing information on a whole host of issues and interviewing some very interesting guests. It was my pleasure to talk recently with Chris Gio and Socio Student about Truth Frequency and about the role of the alternative alternative media. So let's pick up the conversation where I ask them about themselves and how they got started with Truth Frequency. Well, I'm Chris Gio, a uh, recording artist from Dallas, Texas. I started doing uh, the truth music, um, polygraphradio.com, kind of started paying attention. I uh, went on tour with them for a little while, released an album, and then I met a socio student. And from that point on, we decided, hey, let's let's start a radio show. And it's just amazing how it's taking off. We're getting some great guests, great listenership, and we just have this chemistry together that's just unmatched. That's very true. How long have you guys been doing this? Uh, um, about three months. Three months. That's it. Um, we met um, in September. We both decided – well, first of all, we're both forum moderators on Alex Jones' Prison Planet. We've been talking for a couple of years, You know, nothing – never even considered meeting, and then we realized we're only an hour and a half away. Well, the person that I was going to go to see David Icke with canceled, and I was talking to Cherie online. I said, hey, do you want to go? I'll, I'll come pick you up. She goes, yeah, absolutely. So I went and picked her up. Just never met her in my life, and we went out on a fourteen-hour trip. <laughs> fourteen-hour trip, and it was what we stayed there for. What four or five days? No, about three days. Three days. Yeah, we and stayed. Then, yeah, and then it took us two days to get home. So about five days yeah, total. Five days total, and well, I mean, it was just like. It just everything just fits so perfectly while we were there. We said, you know what, we have to get together and we have to bring our chemistry out to the masses. And that's where the concept of the radio show came from because we realized there's a lot of um, alternative media out there, but not a lot of um, of people that you know just come out of nowhere and and try to uh, have like a two man team that work that actually lives together and works together. You know, it, we just thought. You know, since I'm the left brain, he's the right. He's more right brain oriented. We can bring both sides of the brain together into one giant mega brain, I guess. Absolutely. She really picks up where I leave off and vice versa. Um, you know, I don't want to sound. Yeah. <laughs> how do I word this? She has all the information and she can, you know, retain the information, spit out the information. I have the creativity. And so together, we just put that together and it just makes an amazing team. In my opinion, in our listeners' opinion too, we get a lot of emails and things like that. So a big thank you to everybody that tunes in every Thursday at 7 p.m. at truthfrequency.com. That's right. You guys do have a, a great chemistry and, and you do complement each other very well with your style. So um, what kind of response have you been receiving so far? Oh, it's been amazing, James. Uh, we've we've heard from people all over the world saying, "Hey, you know, y'all y'all work really well together. Um, the show just flows really nicely. Um, I especially like your banter that you have back and forth." And we thought that was our uh, that was our weak link, but apparently, people really like it. Yeah, it's um, 
I mean, the response is it's just amazing. Um, the emails and especially the guests. Well, and, and we've met some of the nicest people. Uh, Michael Sarian is one of the nicest people. Rick Strassman, Chris Everard. I mean, everybody's that that's been on our show has just uh, greeted us with these open arms and just been the most down-to-earth people that you can ever imagine. But so. also really knowledgeable, really yeah, knowledgeable yeah. about things uh, concerning the Constitution all the way to back to psychology and history and sociology and uh, philosophy. I mean, our, our guests have really helped us uh, culminate this this radio show into something that that's actually worth listening to and we really want to thank our our guests that have come on for that yeah if it wasn't for the guests we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing um we figure there's so much alternative media out there if somebody needs some information we're going to shoot them over we're going to refer them over to the corbett report or we're going to refer them over to Infowars or something but what we want to do is get as many guests as possible compile an archive of information that we can leave on the internet for many years to come and people can be introduced to some of these people that they might not necessarily have heard about. Uh, for instance, next week we're having um, Jack Blood come on and uh, the week after that we're having Greg from WeThePeopleWillNotBeChip.com. I've never heard of Greg or WeThePeopleWillNotBeChip.com and I know a lot of people out there haven't either but the guy is just really knowledgeable, really great information so that's what we're really trying to do. Absolutely. Well, we have Greg up uh, as a regular guest on the Corbett Report every month, so definitely worth listening oh. to. He's, oh, good deal. Yeah, he's yeah. an excellent guest. All right. Well, that is uh, that is excellent to hear. And, and you bring up an interesting point because you mentioned that the guests are also down to earth. But I think that's something that people who aren't doing this type of thing probably would find surprising. Maybe it, there's the idea that when you have some big name guest on, it's going to be some intimidating experience or these people are all full of themselves or something. But from my own experience, certainly when interviewing big guests like that, usually they, they do tend to be very down to earth people that you could just have a conversation with. And it's, it's something that I think people don't really realize until they actually get in the game and start taking part in the conversation rather than just listening to these conversations. Exactly, exactly. And I urge everybody out there, I mean, the way we got started is we heard Alex say it so many times, go start your radio show, go start a radio show. And so we took that advice and ran with it. And I think everybody can do that. I mean, there's great resources like Block Talk, where all you need is just to a telephone and you can host a radio show. You don't need fancy equipment or anything like that and get a couple of your friends sit around, take some calls and uh, just watch things just unfold. And the way I see it, if everybody's out there yelling with their message, we there's no way they can stop us. They can try to take down some of the some of the alternative media, but if we're all doing it, they, there's no way they can they can um, suppress this information. And it's also about helping people change the movie instead of just keeping on yelling at that movie screen. Um, part of changing the movie is get is getting your own radio show together and getting your own guests on there, and then making it something that's a part of you, and instead of you know just keep yelling at that movie screen. That's exactly right, and that's the exact message that inspired me to get in the game as well. It was uh, listening to Alex Jones just say over and over and over that people should start their own blog, start their own website, start their own radio show, and eventually I just uh, took it to heart and, and went with it, and I'm glad I did because it really did change my life, and for the better, I would say. Um, I think that's that's important to to have that as the basis for for what we're doing because I think that's really what is changing the game. And uh, today I want to talk about alternative media or or maybe the alternative alternative media because it strikes me there's a lot of media out there that dons the cloak of alternative media but is in fact funded by the foundations that are run by the very people who party at Bilderberg with the people who own the establishment media. So that's both disheartening because people fall for it and believe that that is the alternative media, but it's encouraging because it shows the establishment fears a genuine grassroots alternative media that doesn't follow their script. So let's start by des describing and defining that alternative alternative media. What is it that you and I and a growing number of others are actually doing? And how does this differ from the establishment media that we're being force fed on a daily basis? In my opinion, we are putting out the unadulterated truth um, without any bias, without any uh, – I guess I guess the same word would be bias um, as in the terms of financial support. I mean a lot of these, these um, media outlets are supported by financial interest, corporate interest, and of course they're going to have to give information based on that corporate interest. We don't have funding from anybody. You don't have funding from anybody. We, we – 
uh, most of us fund this ourselves. So we're going to be able to get on here and, t and talk about whatever we want, say whatever we want, and, and deliver it in the way um, that it really is rather than clouding up the message with anything else. If freedom is what we are seeking to achieve, then we can only do so by being free. Free from the dependence on large corporations or on large foundations to fund what we're doing. Which is why when you find real, alternative, independent media, you find people who are supporting themselves one way or another. And in to a large extent, sacrificing large portions of their lives attempting to give this information out to other people. So once again, please support everyone that you hear in today's episode, including Chris Gio and Socio Student at truthfrequency.com. Now, Truth Frequency is an extremely exciting program and one that is on my podcast subscription list, but it is also an online activity, much like the Corbett Report, and while that is undoubtedly one of the great frontiers in this fight against the informational onslaught which is being thrust upon us by the lying establishment media, it is by no means the only front in that fight. And, of course, there is a real world offline in which people can also engage in genuine political and information action. And it's on that note that we'll turn to something completely different, but obviously coming from a similar ethos, and that is the Sovereign Independent. The Sovereign Independent, as my listeners might recall, was first introduced back in late 2009 as a way of helping the Irish people find out the truth about the Lisbon Treaty. Now, if you go back and listen to interview number 90 on the Corbett Report homepage with Simon Murphy and Paul Flynn, you can listen to them talking about the early stages of that newspaper and asking for people's support in helping to get the truth about the Lisbon Treaty out to the people of Ireland. Well, unfortunately, we do know how that vote went, but we also are should be pleased to know just what an incredible job that everyone involved with the Sovereign Independent newspaper did in spreading the truth about the Lisbon Treaty and the EU. And it's exciting to hear that they were able, through the generous support of people from across Europe and indeed across the world, to spread over 300,000 copies of the Sovereign Independent newspaper throughout Ireland. Now, in a country of 4 million inhabitants, that is a staggering sum of newspapers and undoubtedly is having an effect on the political landscape in Ireland. It's an extremely exciting thing to see this information not just propagating online, although of course it's important to keep our fight up on online as well, but to see it spreading literally from door to door. So, I ha it was with great pleasure that I had the chance to talk recently to Dave Derby and Neil Foster, two of the people who are involved in the production of the Sovereign Independence second issue, which is due to be released within the next two weeks. Of course, people can find out more about the Sovereign Independent and see some of its online activity at sovereignindependent.com. But right now, let's listen to a section of the interview with Dave Derby and Neil Foster, where we discuss the value of a newspaper and the differences that it presents to some of the more traditional online alternative alternative media. So I imagine there's a bit of a, a lag time between uh, getting an issue all edited and laid out and delivering it to the printers and it getting printed and then distributing it. So I guess there has to be some... I guess, uh, balance when you're taking into account what type of content to include in an issue about stories that are not just uh, about today specifically, but can, I guess, be safely read even weeks from today and still have relevance. So so what kind of criteria do you, do you use for deciding what sort of content should go in the paper? Do you want to answer that, Dave? Or will I... uh, you, you go for that, Neil. Um, it's, it's, it's very difficult, especially when you... You set your, well, I suppose if you set yourself a deadline, then you can only report the stories up to that day. But there's there's so much happening that you you find yourself maybe deciding on one article, and then having to uh, 
get rid of it because something else has happened in the meantime, and yeah, that takes uh, you know priority over over the article you've you've had to discard. So you either you know you either add more pages and make it more costly, or you just have to limit it to what's most relevant, I suppose, at, at the time, and and what's what would appear more relevant to the public, uh, not not maybe necessarily something. Uh, historical, maybe maybe something that's happening to them right now. Yeah, I believe uh, you know it's uh, as we know the global the global agenda is a massive, massive, massive thing. And when we first wake up, and we all remember when we really woke <laughs> woke up, you know, like it's a whole world of relearning, isn't it? You know, like you you have to look at the world from a totally different perspective and there's not much in this world that is honest and there's not much in this world that we're told the truth about okay so there's a lot of deep programming isn't there we, we, we know how long it takes to really get to grips of everything that's going on to understand the agendas and what we can do about it and so forth so so we, we've got a, a massive ocean of, of, of information that we could put out to people but we have to actually restrain ourselves okay um, you know we have to be very careful that we're not putting too much in and putting too much on top of people, too much learning at one time, you know. Um, and we, we have to look at what's relevant um, as well as, you know, what, what isn't directly relevant. And when we've got so many issues like today that are relevant, obviously the majority of the paper is going to be to, uh, to today's issues. But we have historic articles in there. We have um, articles obviously regarding, you know, like informational articles like the Bilderberg Group and what have you, you know, an introduction to the Bilderberg Group so that people know what these institutions are, these global institutions. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a sort of broad spectrum, really, of um, subjects that we that we deal with. I think, I think we don't want to frighten people too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> Right, exactly. Well, well, this this is uh, such an exciting idea because it is penetrating into that um, that section of society, that segment that won't be looking at this stuff online or won't aren't able to look at this online, but will be having this delivered to their door. That's an an incredible thing to think about. So, how many pages are we talking about for this second issue? Yeah, uh, that's. I think that's. Up in the air at the moment. Is it? We're on twenty twenty four. It could like be that. either twenty or twenty four. Yeah. The first edition was a 16-page paper, which in itself was quite a, <laughs> quite an achievement, you know, um, for a first paper. But this, this one, you know, we've got so much information. Again, we could make a 60-page paper if we wanted to with the amount of information that's out there. But again, you know, we want to do it right. We don't want to, you know, sometimes less is more as well, isn't it? You know, you don't want to be giving them a 60-page paper all about the New World Order. <laughs> so, you know... I would do a 60-page paper if I could get some backing from all these oil companies I'm supposed to have connections with <laughs> when I start playing the paper. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so basically, um, you know, we, we have to restrain ourselves to an extent as well. I mean, there's, there's sometimes we've written articles or, you know, people have donated articles to the newspaper and we've looked at it and it's looked good and then, you know, maybe there's been, a, a you know, articles that are sort of like of more importance or more relevance, you know. So we've had to chop and change quite a lot. We've actually got a lot of material for a couple more papers if we really, really, really wanted. So, you know, we've got a lot to choose from. So that's where, you know, like we have to be very careful and we have to be very, very collaborative. We have a lot of proofreading done by different people. When the paper is actually complete in a few days' time, um, it will be proofread by a lot of people. So, you know, uh, it, it is a long process. It is a big process. But because none of us are professionals, we're all, you know, having to learn all of this as we go along. Well, uh, that's, I guess, the sign. Sorry, on you go. Please go ahead. Um, I was, I was just going to say, talking about the proofreading. I believe um, Dave's got a contact who's going to read through it for its, uh, its legal content and make sure we're not going to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, because it's all very important. I mean, you know, like it's very different. See, uh, one of the most important uh, things which we uh, obviously we, you know, like we've had to appreciate when putting together a newspaper, a printed publication, it's very different from the web. You know, you, you can use, you know, people will use different people's work on their websites and that. And if anyone complained copyright or whatever, you can remove the image or remove. But when you've got like hundreds of thousands of copies of a newspaper out in circulation, you know, you can't be having copyrighted material in there, you know. Um, so you can't be having, um, you know, legal uh, inaccuracies in there. You can't have historical inaccuracies in there, you know, because it's a truth newspaper. So uh, there, there is a, a very well-known legal um, uh, person in Ireland um, who will be proofreading the paper at the end of it. He's a, a 
you know, works of some top solicitors. They'll be remote, they'll be actually reading through the paper to make sure that it is all accurate. Last time they've done it with the first, you know, the first uh, issue, they went through it with a fine tooth tooth comb. As a result of that, we've got hundreds and hundreds of emails. The vast majority of the emails were people saying what brilliant information it was. We only had maybe a handful of of nasty emails. You're always going to get, but there's not one of those handful that could point at anything in that paper to refute it. Okay, so that, that was the result. So, so this, this is where the work comes into it. It's not just throwing together a paper, getting it printed, and sent, get, getting it sent out. You know, I'm sure most of people people appreciate that. There's a lot of uh, steps towards it, and you have to you have to think about libel. You have to think about a lot of things when you're putting printed publications out into circulation. So that that is something that we're very very mindful of. Absolutely. Well, I guess it's a sign of the alternative grassroots media that this uh, newspaper is, that it's not a bunch of professionals who, who have big legal departments working on this. It's it's mostly a, a volunteer-type effort. So it's important for people to understand that and, and to support the work that uh, you guys are doing. But in talking about the alternative media and its power in in reshaping or expanding the political debate, what what do you think is a role that a paper like the Silver, Sovereign Independent can play in the political life of a nation like Ireland, and what motivates you to do this work? Um, Scott, do you want to go for that, Neil? Um, you go first. I'll, I'll think about. Yeah, I, I, I mean, one of the, um, the the main thing about our newspaper is we're totally non-partisan. Okay, I'll just cover that to start with. We're non. When I say we're non-religious, I don't mean we're atheists, but we don't take any particular religious view, okay? And uh, we're also non-political. We, 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 we do not believe in the left and right paradigm, okay? So basically that comes across in a newspaper. We are not partisan in any way. Um, so having said that, the newspaper itself now uh, is intended to uh, to do a, two or three different things, I suppose. The, the, the main thing, obviously, is to exp- expose what's going on to people. Okay, to educate people about what's going on, educate people as to what their rights are and what have you. Okay, it's actually for people. It's from the people for the people. Might sound a bit tacky, but that's 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 what the newspaper is. Um, basically, we want to wake people up. We want to wake the people of Ireland up, the people of the world up. Okay, and that's what this newspaper is going to do. And and when people wake up and to the truth and they know what's going on, then you know um, people will be able to make some changes. Indeed, the Sovereign Independent is an extremely exciting project, and I would certainly suggest anyone in Ireland to get involved in helping to create and distribute that newspaper. Or, of course, for people outside of Ireland, it's still a valuable source of information to look at on the website, and also to consider as an example that someone out there listening right now, who knows, may want to take up as a way of effectively spreading the truth in their local area. But now that we've looked at a couple of great examples of the alternative alternative media, perhaps it's time to think on a deeper level about what it is that we are attempting to do when we take up the mantle and start to spread the truth of the alternative media. And in order to take a look at that, well, I'd like to play a section of an interview that was recorded earlier today with James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, FoodWorldOrders.com, CyberspaceWar.com, and of course the co-host of New World Next Week, and Richard Andrew Grove, of course someone whose 9-11 experiences led him to start the 9-11 Synchronicity podcast, found 8th Estate Media, now started tragedyandhope.com and the new Peace Revolution podcast at peacerevolution.org, which I highly recommend people listen to for some fascinating conversation and some valuable information. And we had the chance to talk in a three-way conversation earlier today about the alternative alternative media, its place in society, how it operates, what it's opposing, what it does, and where it's going. An incredible conversation that ranged over a number of issues and well over two hours. So it has not been edited yet, so it is not available for release quite yet, but I imagine it will be so very shortly. And of course, as soon as it is, it will be available from CorbettReport.com. And if you don't want to miss it as soon as it's released, please subscribe to the RSS interview feed on the subscribe tab on the homepage. But right now, let's take a listen to a short excerpt from that conversation towards the end of the conversation, where we talk about numerous things, including ways that people can apply some of the information that 
us, those in the alternative media have gathered in their struggles. These all come together, and once you start to get the perspective that's provided by all of us who are providing commercial-free, not entertainment or diversion, but this is the use of technology to catalyze education, self-education, self-learning, something that no one can take away from you, nobody can tax, you don't have any way to lose it or forget it or get it foreclosed on, you can travel every place with it, and it provides value to other people in a positive way. So this is a great way to start taking your habitual time and, and pulling back from TV and radio and all these other things, spending your time reading the Wall Street Journal to read yesterday's news, and start investing your time in unconventional ways of, of using your time, like listening to a podcast, maybe while you exercise, maybe while you have breakfast, maybe while you take notes and concentrate on the, on the content. But the point is, you can keep fully abreast of all the current events through non-conventional, non-establishment, non-commercial related media that allows you to empower yourself, to think for yourself, and really discover the beauty of cognition because everything that's designed in our status quo in our society is there to suppress consciousness. This is the only war that has ever gone on in mankind. It's the suppression of consciousness versus the expression of consciousness. We're here trying to express our consciousness to learn a little bit about each other, from each other, to share with our audiences to cross-pollinate those audiences and build out the value that's here and has yet to be all connected. And so, you know, I think it's a strategic way and a useful way for all of us to continue investing our time in our respective areas and to let the audiences know that we're all concerned about the same things and none of us are being paid by gold line. So... <laughs> Good point. Well, okay, that's a, that's a good jumping off point for, I guess, what will be sort of the, the beginning of the wrap-up of this conversation, because I, I, I'm an educator as my main day job, so I know that, that one of the keys to teaching is to set your students up for success. It's, it's no good to throw your students in at the deep end and then just hope they can swim, and if they don't, well, too bad. Obviously, you have to lead them in bit by bit and, and, and hopefully provide the keys that they're going to need to achieve success in whatever you're setting them up to do. So on that note, I guess if we're trying to prod people along in their understanding of how media affects them and what they can do to, to start taking control of their own media lives, uh, I guess we should be providing some sort of keys or, or some sort of tips or some sort of things that we can pass along from from what we've collected from our years of experience doing this and 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 hopefully set people up for success in in navigating the minefield of information out there and i think what what you guys both have just raised recently in this conversation is a va valuable point and that would be probably m one of my the first tips that would come to mind or keys to success is always validating the sources of information and that can be in a number of ways and and one simple practical example of that is when you're reading a, a story on a website and it has a link back to the original source of that story, click back to the original source of the story, read it on the original where it actually came from rather than, you know, through a second or third level filter. Even if it's supposedly, you know, alternative media and it's supposed to be good for you, always click back to where it came from and read it for yourself because so many times what you were reading is someone's interpretation of what a story is. And if you don't go back to, to the beginning of the, the start of the story, you'll never see really what it's about. So that's one example of going back to the source. Of course, another example of that is looking at who owns or who sponsors or who controls various media and and that's something we've talked about already in this conversation, talking about the ways that either corporations are controlling or uh, uh, foundations are funding or a few people are, are really wielding control over a, a, a source, a news source. So you always have to know where and how this source is being funded or, or operated in order to know where or how you can place your trust in it. So, for example, if you don't know about goldline.com and Glenn Beck, then maybe you'll have a false understanding of Glenn Beck. So I think the idea of just always going back to the source in multiple ways and understandings of that word is extremely important. And that's something that I would offer as a, a tip or a key, uh, something that to lead people along in, in this process of trying to manipulate or trying to navigate, I should say, this, this media world. So I guess I'd like to open the floor up for you guys. What, what are some things that you would like to, to encourage the listeners out there to, to, to think about, to do, to try in order to set them up for success in, in what we're talking about today, the, the understanding of the alternative media? 
I would throw in, because James, you just mentioned foundation-funded media, and that's something I don't think we actually really hit on in this conversation. And that is what is out there as the ostensible alternative media. I don't have it in front of me right now, and I'm not sure actually of the source of this photo, but I think if you basically image search, you know, left gatekeepers, foundation-funded media, you'll see this large chart, and it shows that even our, you know, NPRs and alternates and counterpunch and a lot of those alternative news sources, which provide great sources of information, they still lead back to the same organizations. So uh, either of you, I, I don't know how we want to, you know, just briefly mention alternative media and the foundation funded media versus what we're kind of calling the alternative to the alternative media. Well, I could, I could pick that up because I would mention that the United States legislative arm that, that we all learned about back in grade school, uh, Congress has the Senate and the House of Representatives and each of them has a respective magazine. And I would note that both of those magazines are controlled by the same people who control The Economist, which is Sir Evelyn de Rothschild and other people that he works with. So when you have, you know, for instance, Congress being influenced by their own magazine that they're getting their information from, and it's owned by foreign international bankers, that's just, you know, one little way that media works its way into the cracks and controls people. As far as a recommendation for some media, I would point out there's a character named Neil Postman, and he wrote a very interesting book, among others, uh, called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Now, you can find this on book. You can find the MP3 on the Internet. You can go to YouTube. He does some great lecturing about technology, media, how it's evolved, how, how it affects us, and what we can do about it. As far as a piece of media to recommend of my own, I would suggest listening to peacerevolution.org. There's a podcast there. You subscribe, listen, download, share it. It's empowering. It's fun. It's educational. Don't let that scare you off. And as far as a quote, I would note that the world is made up of words, and if you know the right words, you can make of the world what you will. Are you going to share the source of that quote, or, or shall we let listeners find I that heard, for themselves? I do not claim a source for that quote, though I heard it from Terrence McKenna, which is how I found Jan Irvin, and so it's, yeah, it brings us all full circle right here. Once again, that's a conversation I'm extremely excited about, so I certainly hope that people will keep an eye out for that conversation when it becomes available for download and will help to spread that around because it was absolutely fascinating to take part in. But, of course, it goes without saying that people should be supporting and looking into the websites of James Evan Pilato at, of course, MediaMonarchy.com, FoodWorldOrder.com, and CyberspaceWar.com, and Richard Andrew Grove at TragedyAndHope.com and PeaceRevolution.org. And, of course, it should be noted that people can become a member of the Tragedy and Hope community for free and take part in the discussion and the furthering of knowledge among each other in a vibrant community of like-minded people. So please do so, and as a note, you could join myself and Richard and James, as we are all members of that community as well. But I think ending today on the most positive note that I possibly can, I would like to give my absolute 100% approval and thumbs up to everyone who took the time to take part in the Arrest the Crimatologist contest. The response to that contest was quite overwhelming for me. I, I really wasn't expecting such an outpouring of incredible activism by incredibly motivated and activated people. So for every single entry and every person who bothered to submit something, I, I just want to say a heartfelt thank you. And since my entire goal here on this podcast is to motivate people to get involved in the true political action and activism that really will help to shape our society, I would just like to say that it has been a stunning success. And of course, now that we have really, as I say, gained what we were setting out to do, which is discredit the scientists who were involved in this disgraceful and abysmal affair. And, well, we've got at least the information commissioner to admit that they did break the law, which is something. And there's, as I say, there's no small part in which the activists and the people out there who were spreading the information 
were truly fundamental in making that happen. So without further ado, I would like to announce the winners of the Arrest the Crimatologist contest. That's right, I did announce there would only be one winner, but it was impossible to pick just one winner. And if I possibly could send a copy of my forthcoming book to every single person who entered the contest, I would. But since that's impossible, I had to narrow it down to three entries. So the first prize will go to Tristan Ludlow for his extremely creative entry of creating a gravitar, which is a small image that people can use as their identity for an online forum, which helped to promote the uh, knowledge and awareness of ClimateGate. And that was made well, well back in the early days of the scandal when it was still not talked about at all in the corporate media. So I thought that was an extremely effective, extremely simple way of helping to spread the truth. And I thought it was a great idea. So to Tristan Ludlow, I will send a copy, a signed copy of my forthcoming book as soon as it's released. I will also send one to Andrew Patterson at andrewpatterson.com, who hosts a radio show, which he has used to interview Dr. Tim Ball on a couple of occasions. And he's also, of course, used his platform to spread the truth about climate gate and climate change and chemtrails and Codex Elementarius and Gardasil and all sorts of other information. So very exciting to see all of that activism happening out in British Columbia. And the reason why he's uh, winning over many of the other people who also submitted incredible blog entries is that he also took the time to write the Auditor General of British Columbia and question why the Auditor General would be in support of a BC carbon tax when, of course, the, we now know that the carbon dioxide emissions are not harmful and not driving the climate. Again, this uh, letter was quite well written, quite to the point, and I think if it was engaged upon on a mass scale, it would be quite effective. So, to Andrew Patterson, I'd just like to tip my hat and thank you very much for your entry and congratulations. And the final winner of the Arrest the Crimatologist contest is Dennis Rancourt, a former professor of physics at the University of Ottawa, who, among other things, including keeping up a blog with very relevant entries about the climate change scandal and hosting a radio program on CHUO-FM, he also managed to spread some climate gate truth on a mainstream large uh, French-language Canadian radio station 98.5 FM, and anyone who can speak French can take a listen. Uh, please go to the documentation section for today's episode and take a listen to his time on the air. It's extremely interesting to hear him talking and spreading the truth to the French-speaking community in Canada, which of course has traditionally been quite supportive of the climate change hoax. So to all of those people, congratulations on winning the contest. To everyone else, again, a wholeheartedly, truly, sincerely meant uh, appreciation and thanks for having participated in the contest. Each and every single one of you is a winner for having participated and having spread the truth. And again, please take a look at the article that's now up detailing the winners and, and also the other entries that came in because some of the creativity of some of the people who entered is just incredible. So once again, the alternative media is having an effect and it is taking over and obliterating the old forms of control and the establishment media. That's it for today. Thank you for joining me. I am your host, James Corbett, asking you to join me again next week for episode 116 of the Corbett Report podcast, Vancouver 2010 and the Terror Olympics. The freedom sound brings past politics and all its empty words. Can't be put down. The broken bell will be To a poet or a prophet, journal all this world's injustice or try and stop it. Can you feel the coming change? 
Tyrants and the good old boys. 